This is Radio Influence. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. Welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush, Crush with a K. And on all other social media platforms, search out Crush Performance and we can hook up there. All right, well, fall's well underway. So much going on. But we're going to get off to a quick start here because we personally have a lot to cover. Over the next few weeks here, through November and into December, we're going to be wrapping up the Crush themes for 2021. And that is Talent and Talent ID and the Crush Brain Game. If you remember, back in January, we kicked the Talent Talent ID series off with an incredible conversation with Dr. Joe Baker from York University, trying to get the groundwork, the lay of the land, so to speak, as to where we're at in terms of our understanding of talent and how we go about identifying talent for future development. First of all, you know, both systems are broken. Our our developmental systems, our talent development systems are very irregular and disconnected. And the way we go about identifying talent for future performance, while we've established time and time again through the series here that we're just not that good at it. And we're looking for answers. How can we fix it? How can we get better? That's what the series is all about. And I think mission accomplished. So we're going to wrap that up right alongside that series. This year, we've been running uh, a dual theme, which is the first time ever in Crush Performance history, uh, the Crush Brain Game. And this comes out of all the concussion studies that have been done, our new understanding of how the brain works and new technologies. They're allowing us to map our brains, seeing how they're operating. Uh, But not only that, they're allowing us to train the brain in real time, something that we've never been able to do in the history of mankind. How is that going to change the developmental system for our athletes, for our students, for musicians, for people who are learning on the job? So many exciting things going on in terms of brain and brain performance. But getting back down to the roots of it, there's so much we don't know yet. And so our second theme here for 2021 was the Crush Brain Game. If you listen to the show, you already know that our top four priorities for performance in sport, the first four things that we strongly feel that need to be addressed if somebody's going to have success in development, certainly inside of sport, but but in life in general, anywhere people are trying to get better, rest, recovery, and sleep is number one. Nutrition, hydration, number two. For sport, it's posture and range of motion and then movement. Those four things need to be in place. We need to have a bedrock of those fundamentals if you're going to go on to have success. But here's the thing. The brain controls everything that we do. And yet when it comes to addressing the brain, uh, we're very reactive rather than being proactive. So while we talk about being proactive in getting sleep and managing our programs around rest and recovery, and while we talk about eating and hydrating properly and setting our bodies up posture and range of motion for success in movement, so then we can train to move better so we can become more coachable, is our approach to the brain game one of the missing links in pushing human performance forward? I personally believe so. 
Again, we're very, very reactive when it comes to the brain game. And it's more than just psychology or the mental side. That's one small piece of this thing that we're calling the brain game. It is your mood. It's your personality. It's how you perceive your environment. It's your decision-making, your, again, perception, of course, of your environment, but perception of how people address you and teach, you know, how you learn. There are so many aspects to the brain game that I do believe it should be the fifth top priority. And amongst our four, where does the brain game actually sit? Is it number one now? Is it the new number one above sleep, rest, and recovery? Or is it somewhere in our hierarchy after the fundamentals are established? That's our goal and objective for this year when it comes to these very important themes, the Talent and Talent ID series and the Crush Brain Game series. Well, today we're going to kick off our grand finale to both of these themes. We're going to bring these two worlds together over the next five or six episodes, all through November and into December. It is the Crush Brain Game and Talent and Talent ID. Coming up after the break, everybody, we're going to kick it off with an incredible discussion with Dr. Rob Gray, Associate Professor of Human Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. Rob has done a ton of work on coaching, how we learn, and how our environment can really, really influence the developmental patterns of athletes, students, and, well, anybody who's trying to get better at something. So stick around as we kick off the grand finale for our Talent Talent ID and Crush Brain Game series right after this on Crush Performance. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. If you want to get in touch with us, reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Questions? comments, smart remarks. We love them all. Get them to us. Or if you have a topic or something you'd like us to investigate, let us know. We've dedicated segments, even entire episodes to your ideas, and we are bound to do it again. So bring it on, everybody. That's what it's all about. And we're about to bring it on here as we wrap up our two major themes for the 2021 season here, talent, talent ID, and the brain game. The next five or six episodes are going to be dedicated to putting it all together. We've had two or three series over the course of the year that have really shone light on what talent, talent ID is all about, where we're at in our understanding of talent and talent ID, and also the crush brain game. It's turned out to be this thing that's much, much bigger. And I think we were on the mark when we started this. You know, our theory was kind of like, you know, we're very reactive when it comes to the brain game. Reason number one is, you know, we don't really understand it that well in the mainstream of sports. There's so much going on when it comes to the brain game. It's not just sports psychology or the mental game. It is mood. It is decision making. It's reaction time. It's perception. It's all of these things that make us who we are. The brain is the mission control of everything we do. So the information that's coming in, is that what separates top performers from, from other performers? Or is it how they process it or how they put it all together to make something happen? Whether it's music, whether it's sport, whether it's acting, whether it's working on your job. That's the idea behind the brain game. And we're really getting to the root of it. And we're going to wrap it up here. And I thought a great place to start here would be to kick it all off with a discussion that brings these two worlds together. Teaching, coaching, 
talent, talent ID, how we process it, but then how we create outcomes. And nobody better to kick this discussion off than Dr. Rob Gray, Associate Professor of Human Systems Engineering at Arizona State University, also the host of the Incredible Perception and Action podcast. Dr. Gray, hey, thank you so much for joining us as we kick off our series here. So great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jeff. It's it's really my pleasure to be here. I really uh, have the honor to talk with you. Yeah, great. Well, you know, I followed your work for quite some time and, you know, our paths have crossed indirectly over the years through through mm-hmm. people that we both know. Um, but I'm just fascinated by this whole area of athlete development, especially once they get into the high performance pathways. But but this whole road that athletes are on begins at a very, very early age. And one of the things that we're really trying to cipher out here in, in the whole concept of long-term development Dr. Gray is this idea of of long-term development and the influence of our environment and the experiences that we have along the way. And and that kind of goes in flow with some of the work you've been doing when you look at how athletes learn and perform. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I think we're trying to understand kind of the route to being skillful. and, And I think we're opening up kind of the one main message is there's not one right exact way to do it, right? There's lots of different methods and approaches to it. So yeah, definitely that's something I'm really interested in. Dr. Gray, when we look at some of the data that comes out, and again, we have to take some of the numbers, you know, uh, for what they are, but when we look at the dropout rates and the injury rates in youth sport, there's a lot of major concerns right now when we look at what's happening. And then, of course, you add on the whole complexity of the COVID issues and the shutting down of sport and the isolation of young athletes, young people, people in general. And there's a lot of things we need to deal with. But if if we're going to move forward in our sporting system, giving, you know, athletes the opportunity to chase down their dream or reach their potential, um, you know, I, I kind of get the feeling that sometimes we try to start too far down the road, missing some really fundamental opportunities uh, early on in terms of setting our athletes up for success. Is that something you've experienced or seen over the years? I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a couple issues there. I think, you know, we rush sometimes we're, you know, to get to really specific, you know, what we see elite athletes doing sometimes too quickly, I think. With, with kids, I think there's a couple issues, you know, you could bring up the whole, you know, diversification versus specialization in sports kind of debate, whether kids should be solely focused on one sport through the whole year or whether to encourage them to do other sports. And I think, there's a growing body of evidence that I that diversifying helps in so many ways, keeps you motivated, keeps you healthier um, by reducing repetitive stress. And, and also coming, there's this growing idea of this kind of idea of a donor sport where you can doing some things can help you in your main sports. So say if you, you know, you want to be a hockey player doing other sports that kind of help to develop your body awareness, um, you know, things like, um, you know, parkour, uh, gymnastics, uh, other kinds of sports where you, uh, martial arts, where you, you can, I th- it makes that, like, kids more coachable. They can, they, uh, you know, they, they learn to control their movements better, I, those kind of things. And the other growing one that, you know, I've kind of been very interested in is this movement away from the idea that there's one correct way to do things. Like there's one correct way to, to shoot or dribble, you know, the, there's a growing body of evidence that shows that uh, having more variability in the way you move 
moving in different ways, different solutions actually um, kind of can help reduce the chance of injury uh, because you're not doing the, doing the same thing always in the same way. There's some interesting new studies. So, for example, the risk for ACL injuries in soccer players, which is a big problem, especially with the young girls, um, can be reduced if we add more variability to practice. You know, and keep it more fun and game-like, which you know is also more enjoyable and keeps kids from dropping out and getting bored as well. Yeah, that's so so important. And the coaches play a major major role in all of this, um, Doctor Gray. And one of the things that we really strive to do here on the show is to give coaches maybe some things to think about, maybe to get them thinking about things they haven't thought of before. And this whole idea, like you said, of I love the idea of donor sports or supplemental sports mm -hmm. and, and varying practices. Mm -hmm. And it all comes down, you know, when we talk about our brain game, there's one, this, there's one little cog in our wheelhouse. When we talk about the crush brain game, where we're really working to try to, you know, justify whether we're, we need to be more proactive when it comes to addressing the brain and everything that it entails. And, and boy, I'm telling you what, we've gone down a rabbit's hole because mm -hmm. the brain game has turned out to be, this massive, massive things with so many components. But the one area that we really haven't addressed yet, and, I, and one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on today, Dr. Gray, is this whole idea of perception and how we perceive things. And the interesting part of that, and is, you know, as you talk about you know, that there's not one single way to do it, but, but what might work for one athlete and how they perceive information or an activity or a movement might be totally different for another athlete. And boy, that adds a lot of... Um, uh, a complexity to the entire issue of development, doesn't it? For sure, yeah, definitely. And and it's something we kind of take for granted. I think sometimes we we tend to treat everything as kind of being a physical issue or kind of a maybe a, like a cognitive issue. You know, that player is not good at making decisions. They're kind of slow, and we try to we think of them as being that way. When when a lot of times they seem to be perceptual issues. You know. One thing related to this, we, we've known, we started to discover in, in a lot of research is people's gaze behavior, where they look, can be very different um, between a really skilled athlete, look at different places, for example, a baseball bat or something I study, where they look at the pitcher, right? Uh, unskilled batters seem to move, move their eyes all around, jumping all around, where um, um, skilled batters often use something called a soft focus or a pivot point where they keep their eyes more still. So they seem to pick up the information better. Um, their perception is better of the ball flight and things like that. Um, these things are sometimes, you know, hard to notice <laughs> as, as when you're working with kids that, that, that that's happening. So, yeah, I think that's a definitely kind of an untapped um, area for training is developing the perceptual skills and the some of the cognitive skills as well. We're talking with Rob Gray, Associate Professor of Human Systems Engineering at Arizona State University and the host of the Perception Action Podcast. You can check that out at perceptionaction.com. Yeah, it is a fascinating area, and sports science has just evolved so quickly here, it's almost overwhelming. And certainly for somebody uh, who's not in this world full-time, it's most certainly overwhelming, all the information that's coming out right now. But when we talk about you know helping our athletes achieve, whether it's for recreational sport, whether it's for fun, or whether our athlete catches the fire of a high-performance pathway and wants to chase it down, um, the environment we create is so, so powerful on many different levels, and, and in terms of, you know, the enjoyment and the emotional side, but also on the learning side as well. This whole concept of environment sometimes, I think it's overlooked in our master planning. Would that be fair to say? 
Absolutely. I think that that's a fantastic point. You know, I think one of the things I like to, you know, learning, learning is messy. Like learning involves making mistakes and looking bad, right? If you do something right and look good every time, you're not learning, you're not getting better. And I think kids, you know, you get in the mindset that in practice, you have to look good. You know, maybe there's a scout there from somewhere. So that's kind of going against what we want. So it's really important that a coach sets the environment and establishes, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve. I'm setting up this practice activity and I expect you to fail some of the time because we're going to learn something new. Um, but that's really, really important. Like sometimes I don't think we do, you know, I think kids are, you know, they're afraid of someone watching them and seeing them fail, right? Which, but they need to if they're, if they're going to get better. Yeah. And it's interesting when you talk about that, you know, you mentioned baseball hitters, for example, and the fact that elite hitters or elite athletes in general do things a little bit differently. I, I got to think, you know, there's no question in my mind anyway, that nobody can do it alone. You need that mentoring. You need that coaching. You need your teammates and competition and practice. You need all those things to harness and, and understand and develop skill sets and, and, and talents. Um, but when you look, you know, let's go back to the baseball conversation. It might be a good context right now with what's going on in, in the playoffs. If we were to go back mm-hmm. to the years of Mickey Mantle and Babe Ruth and, you know, all those classic guys, sports science wasn't even in the nomenclature of our language back then. I mean, I'm sure there were things they were doing, but when we look at what's happening now, we're breaking down and analyzing vision, 3D models of movement. Um, mm-hmm. The principles, though, really haven't changed that much. We're just now maybe focusing on different things and maybe looking at it through a different lens. Uh, and I think it's exciting but I'm not sure. I, I think sometimes we lose sight of maybe the basic fundamentals of development. And I, I, again, that's a question, not, not a statement at all, but I'm sometimes wonder if we don't go too far too soon. Yeah. I think for me, you know, this is something I've been interested in for a long time. I think the, you know, the analytics piece where we can analyze everything about how you move and, you know, all the statistics, I think it's really valuable, but I think sometimes the piece, we're missing is how we translate that to the athlete. What do we tell them? Well, how do we show them? You know, it, you know, if we want to tell them about the best just to swing at for them, how do we give them that information? And what I found personally, just working as a consultant, a lot of times is athletes vary massively in how much they want that. Right? They they want some want to know every detail, uh, like uh, you see on the stat site. Like, and others just want to you know to give me one one thing to focus on. Um, so I think that I, I agree with each other. I think we can run away with that a bit too far. And remember that you still need the coach. The coach has, I, I think it's critical. The coach sits between <laughs> the analytics and the athlete, right? When they need to still need to help interpret it, help pick out the key performance things out of it and, and know their athletes. So I think it's, not just a definitely not a one size fits all and, and, and obvious route. So yeah, I, I agree. And, it, and you can you can lose the kind of the intention and the goal and the you know the human side of things and the numbers really quickly if you're not careful for sure. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that in some of the research right now. But but Rob, I really like that that concept of what you just said. Some the coach needs to sit between the athletes mm-hmm. and the numbers sometime. That's a powerful, powerful statement that resonates with me loudly. Mm-hmm. I really like that whole concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what we found. I think um, you know, uh, I've one of the things I've emphasized, you know, we can go off and put all these 
take you to a lab and do all these biomechanical analysis on you. I could probably, if you're a golfer, I could figure out, you know, maybe your swing path too far outside and you can nail your elbows too straight. What we found in research is we don't want to say that to an athlete. It, well, we get them inside their head, you know, start thinking about their body movements and all that. So a coach taking that and developing some simple instructions or cues, you know, like try to swing like you're casting a fishing line. That's much more effective. So you need that coach in there to translate all these analyses and information in a way that's digestible for the athlete and we, in a way that we know leads to learning the best. Which, so I, I, I contrast movement description, which is the stats and the analytics versus movement instruction but you still, the coach still needs to kind of translate those two. I like it. Movement description and movement instruction. So incredible. Mm -hmm. That's a great perspective. And when those two worlds collide, now you get something special going. The soup starts coming together, (laughs) so to speak, Mm -hmm. kind of. I really like that, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's an important distinction. I think, I think the really good uh, teams that are using analytics are, are doing this kind of thing. I think, um, you know, they need that. They still need the, the you know, the, the coach that understands the skill and understands the basics in between working with the analytics team for sure. Hey, Rob, do you think like in general, I'm speaking in massively general terms here and, you know, we have a huge following of coaches, athletes, parents listen to the show. We've got GMs and, you know, organizational people that listen to the show as well. You know, I often feel, Rob, that, you know, our elite athletes, they're so well taken care of, right? I mean, there's the resources are there and, and, you know, they've got all the experts around them. But I honestly think there's a massive chasm in our developmental models, you know, in, in our youth sport and our developmental sport, we have, in my opinion, we have such a long way to go. And I really do believe that the school systems uh, really need to change the curriculum when it comes to physical education and helping athletes learn. And, and this has nothing to do with sport. This goes well beyond sport to just health and wellness for crying out loud. I think, I think, you know, if we're to look at a, at a model at an ideal model for sport development, you know, high performance athletes should not be the major goal of that model. I think it would just be a huge benefit. The number of athletes that will come out of it, the interest in sport, the kids that have the physical prowess, maybe the mental uh, makeup to chase down their dreams and see how far they can go. I think that would be just a great spinoff of a really good model. Is that something that, that you agree with when we look at, you know, the, the entire sporting model from development right up to high performance? Absolutely, Jeff. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think, you, yeah, you know, with young kids all the way from gym class and PE class, you know, with the focus on is as if you're heading towards high performance sport. And we, uh, there's a couple things. One is the train, we train can be very dull, you know, waiting in line to dribble around cones or, you know, it can be very, it's not very fun at times. You're decomposing skills, practicing layups over and over. Um, and then the other one is, you know, with that focus, I think we just chase a lot of kids away. They learn, I'm not sporty, I'm not coordinated, and they move away from that. And whereas I think if we we focus instead of this high performance, we focus on getting them to learn to love moving, right? Uh, you know, whether it's for, you know, recreational, hiking, you know, you know, interacting with your environment. I think if that was a focus, we get we people wouldn't drop out so fast, and they'd be healthier in the long run, right? The, the sports they they do some activities and things in, in, in more in their life it, rather than learning that oh, I don't like sports, so I'm not going to do any of that. 
And I think that's the way we set it up. I think we're just pushing a lot of kids away um, because they can't get these kind of, you know, this, these, the high performance path is pushing them out really quickly. And, and I agree, it's, it's, it's causing health problems down the road and, and lots of other effects. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Rob Gray, Associate Professor of Human Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. You can check out his great information at perceptionaction.com. Um, Dr. Gray, listen, I am going to be stealing and borrowing a lot of nuggets from this conversation <laughs> because, oh my goodness, I'm just really enjoying this. Uh, you said something, again, that, that really resonates with me, and I know it's going to resonate with our listeners too, because I talk about movement as one of our top priorities in just just mm-hmm. getting people out and active, um, learn to love moving if, as, as a goal for mm-hmm. our programs. I, I just love that concept. I, I think that should be maybe uh, like a mission statement somewhere or something because it, it just, I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's so many examples I could think of. You know, I've been, one of the things I've enjoyed a lot in my life is, is running. I got really, you know, I love where I am and now this trail running is really great. I really enjoy it. Uh, running was the punishment <laughs> when I was a kid, right? And, and when you did something wrong in gym classes or your sports team, you'd run laps, right? So that that's the kind of thing we do, I think, sometimes to to kids. You know, we we send the wrong message about, you know, uh, oh, you're not doing this the exact way we want. Oh, that's wrong. Um, whereas we should let them, you know, be more creative and expressive with you know, moving and. And, you know, interacting with the world, you know, I really think that would have huge benefits. I think kids would enjoy it more and and you'd still get great athletes out of it too, I think. Yeah. Yep. I I agree. I agree with you there. And, and, you know, when you look at the environment of learning, when kids are out having fun, a great coach can pepper in instruction and it's, it's Mm -hmm. fascinating. It's incredibly fascinating how, how young people learn. Uh, it's as fascinating mm-hmm. to watch a professional uh, athlete, even a veteran professional athlete who really has crafted their skills, make adjustments uh, because they have such a knowledge of their body and their, and their, you know, if you give them mm-hmm. freedoms to, to move and figure things out, um, magic can happen. And that comes under sort of the heading of like this whole concept of self-organizing. And so, so Dr. Gray, maybe we could talk a bit for our coaches here about, you know, some of the things you can do if kids are challenged uh, by a, let's say a free throw or throwing a strike or hitting a baseball or getting a volleyball over the net and in fair territory or hitting a tennis ball, whatever the sport is. Um, you know, some of the things that coaches can think about to help remedy those problems. Because one thing that I think we do know quite clearly is keep your eye on the ball, keep your elbow down, keep your head up. Those verbal cues are not that effective at all when it comes to helping athletes uh, learn and execute tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, those are those are interesting things. And I think, you know, one of the things I like to contrast in, in, in you know, in, it's not my original idea, but it's the difference between task decomposition and task simplification. And what I mean by that is the way that we typically handle those issues is by taking a skill and breaking it into pieces. So if you can't hit a ball thrown by a pitcher, it would make you hit off a tee. If you can't dribble very, turn all the ball in the game very effectively, we make you dribble around cones. Or if you have trouble in tennis, we, we take the opponent away and we soft toss you a tennis ball nearby. And those are all breaking the skill apart. And there's a lot of research showing that you really can't put it back together very well if you do that. 
or, you know, practicing a volleyball serve by just throwing up at the ball in the air and not hitting it. Um, what there's this growing body research is, is the better way to do things is keep the skill whole, keep it game-like, but reduce everything. And there's a great body of research, for example, in tennis, when if for a kid that's struggling, if you use a lower compression ball that doesn't bounce as high and a, a smaller racket, they can keep, and same with basketball, lower the hoop, right? You can keep the kid playing the game, keep everything there, that, rather than reducing it to some silly, you know, exercise that's kind of boring. Um, there's a bunch of effort, uh, evidence showing that, you know, that's much more effective at getting them to, you know, learn the quote-unquote fundamentals that they can plug into the game. So, so that's the approach we tend to use. You know, simplify it, scale it down, but don't break it apart. Right? Don't, don't, you know, reduce the number of players on the court rather than doing isolated drills where there's no opponent in front of you. That, that's the kind of approach that a lot of us are moving to. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept. And that's where, again, we go back to that conversation earlier about how our athletes perceive the task maybe or what you want them mm-hmm. to accomplish. Uh, but also... Uh, the environment we create for them to learn. I love the concept of, you know, softer tennis balls that don't bounce as much or, or, or mm-hmm. reducing the number of players on the court um, or, 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 or in the game, it'll create, mm-hmm. you know, it's still a game scenario, but it creates other options. And it's just sort of, ex- I think it would be fair to say it, it could really expand learning when you alter the environments like this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it can create, you know, opportunities for them to learn kind of relationships and things in their environment that they don't get in the full game. You know, uh, you know, soccer is a great example. Like the field is massive. <laughs> like the amount of time that you actually directly interact with another person and see how your movement changes their movement is very small. In practice, if we can reduce it to a really small field with only a few players, then we can kind of determine we like to use it to amplify that. We're amplifying information and the environment for you and you can kind of get other opportunities to to um to learn how to use it and interact with it yeah and and dr gray you know the great thing about this for all the coaches and parents even athletes that are listening today sometimes if you have a clear idea of what the task or your goal is and you know what you're trying to uh, perform in terms of an outcome um you're sometimes only limited by your imagination on your website again everybody Mm -hmm. you can go to perceptionaction.com there are some just incredible examples that will get you thinking. Uh, one of the things I really loved, and I've actually seen a couple teams do this um, in soccer, as you mentioned, was, you know, using different size balls, different shaped balls to mm-hmm. challenge, you know, the athletes uh, in terms of, of the environment, you know, you, so you've got the same skill going on, but there are some curveballs in the mix that really, really do uh, help the athletes figure things out in the end. For sure. Yeah. It's kind of, it's counterintuitive in some ways to like, you know, we, we kind of pushing things being exactly like you're going to face in competition on some sense. But I think, you know, if you have, if you make these kind of logical choices about yeah changing the size of the ball or, you know, weighting a bat in baseball, we use weighted bats and weighting ball in baseball. You know, I think you can get an athlete, you know, it's, it's about exploring, you know, learning how you relate to your environment, learning what your body can and can't do. That's kind of, you know, the, the change in a lot of us have had in, in, in skills. Skill is not about learning the one way. It's about learning to explore your environment and, and interact with it. And all these kind of things uh, can help. And there are a lot of fun. You can, you can really have a lot of fun with the different size balls and all that kind of stuff. It's a, 
it's, um, you know, kids uh, really love it yeah. when you do that. Another great way to keep them engaged. And not only that, one of the things that we've done in some of our programs is we've challenged the athletes to come up with ideas, creative ideas to help us get the outcome. So not only are we having fun, we're changing it up, but now they're also involved in the decision-making process, which has really, really reaped some, some rewards for us. Yeah, definitely. That's a, another big change. You know, the word, the you know, fancy word we like to use is co-adaptive. Learning is co-adaptive. It's the athlete and the coach working together. And, you know, the, the kind of the change that, you know, a lot of it I've been trying to push is, you know, the idea of the coach as an instructor, where you go to a coach that has all the answers. You know, you think about it, even when you go to like a pottery class, that's what happens. You, you go because they know how to do it and they're going to tell you exactly how to do it. Then you're going to leave. Going from that model to the coach is more of a guide and a designer. So the coach is designing an environment to help you figure it out on your own. You know, that you used the term self-organization earlier. Um, I think that's, that's the movement we want to see rather rather than, you know, the coach is the one with the, all the answers. I think um, the idea of a guide. I'm going to help. You know, I'm going to step in when I see you going a little wrong. But I don't know the, all the answers. I'm not going to tell you exactly how to do it. I'm going to let you find it on your own. I, th- I think is is a really change in the mindset of the coaching. Oh, I love it. That right there is maybe one of the most powerful concepts we can sh- share in sport right now. We're talking with Dr. Rob Gray, Associate Professor of Human Systems Engineering at Arizona State University. Uh, Dr. Gray, I love that. I, I really do. And w- one of the things I think that we're seeing right now, when we look at the state of youth sport, developmental sport, where I think some of the, our most concerning underlying issues are, um, is uh, you know, um, our, our focus on the rate of learning or being an expert before you could ever possibly be an expert. People are trying to rush into it and, and cutting corners along mm-hmm. the way. And I think it's really lowering the overall ceiling in potential. If we were to sit back, as you mentioned, and just be patient and let them figure things out, boy, oh boy, would we be in a much better place right now? Yeah, I think so too. I think yeah, the other, you know, we've, we've accepted that, you know, kind of growing acceptance that uh, learning of another term, learning is very nonlinear. Right? It doesn't follow the smooth curve you see in textbooks of this learning curve. Right? Kids are going to develop, show no progress for a while, then make this sudden leap where they get, you know, huge gains in one practice session. It's, you know, it's just the way that things work in the kind of environment. And it's the way that works when you raise your own kids, right? You see this, the same kind of thing. So I think we have to be more accepting of, of this. And I think we have to, you know, change our way of what we consider to be, you know, an effective practice or, you know, what we're looking at. We, we try to focus it into simple metrics that we could measure that are not always going to capture what we really want to see. Learning, like learning is long-term improvement, right? So sometimes you do it. Patience is, is important, but I recognize that's very hard for a coach. You know, you know, we've been trying to talk about that, you know, coaches have pressures too. Right? They have to show uh, results. So it, it, it's a really difficult thing to do to balance success in the short term of your team with the long-term development of your athletes. That's a really hard challenge for a coach, and I do recognize that for sure. Yeah. And, and Rob, do you think that also plays – well, it does go hand-in-hand with the readiness of the athletes you're working with. I mean, they all have different developmental rates, both cognitively and physically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've all talked about this before and every coach out there, I think, is, you know, at least in some degree, very aware of this, of this coaching bias towards kids who are maybe not necessarily in the end of the day, in the bigger picture, more talented, but maybe at that particular point in time, 
they're just simply more ready. Um, and then you get that self-fulfilling prophecy spinning out, right? Where they get more attention, more opportunities. And these kids that might have turned out or might even turn out to have greater talent or performance outcomes, they kind of get pushed to the side and forgotten. I think it's really important to keep in mind that, you know, um, boy, what you just said, that the, the difference in learning from athlete to athlete has to be something mm-hmm. that's, that's written into your playbook as a coach. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we can easily uh, get, you know, sucked in by short term. <laughs> the, the luck of kids, especially physical, you know, they're, they're, yeah, I'm sure you've, you've covered it before, Jeff, the, the classic work on the relative age effects, you know, kids born earlier in the year tend to be bigger uh, physically, uh, you know, get this gets propagated along, you know, kids born in January, February, March tend to do better in sports than kids born in October, November, December, because uh, they keep getting all these advantages because they're bigger, they get on the rep team, they get extra coaches and so on. But there's a really interesting, you know, some research showing that that actually reverses the very highest level of sports. Those kids that were overlooked their whole life um, are actually more resilient and tougher, and so they do better at the highest level. So, but it, it is a very important thing, I think. Um, I think you know we've had the. As, I think so that I don't know the exact term people like to use uh, something like as many as possible for as long as possible. So the goal of youth sports should be not trying to filter out and get down to a low number as, that we tend to do. Let's keep as many of the kids engaged for as long as possible and let them develop at their own rate and then worry about picking the best, best later on. I think, I think that's a really good change in attitude. Oh, I, I, again, I love it. Here's the second statement uh, or sentence on our mission statement <laughs> that, that we're formulating <laughs> with Dr. Gray today. Yeah. Um, yeah. As many as possible, as long as possible. Oh boy, that should be the mantra of every youth sporting organization in the land, coast to coast, around the globe. If we really, if we all really just embrace that attitude, how great would things be right now? Boy, oh boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, I'm coming from, you know, I'm sure I got so much out of sports in my life. I was lucky, you know, I got, I didn't have to fight to, to be on the team. You know, I, I did later, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I got so much out of sport I take for the rest of my life. Um, you know, that I use in the rest of the other parts of my life. So I really wish, you know, all kids could have that as much as possible. And as I said, this love of movement and find some activity that fits for them, that they keep doing through their life, whatever it is, and, you know, helping the health of our, everybody. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's really, really important. Yeah, no, just a fantastic conversation. Dr. Gray, listen, really appreciate your time. Um, before we go though, I do want to mention to everybody, you have a new book coming out and I'm actually very excited to get my hands on this one. Um, kind of maybe share it. What's the timeline? What can we expect to see in the book, Dr. Gray? Cause I know this is going to be a blockbuster. Yeah. Thanks Jeff. It's called how we learn to move. And, um, basically the idea is I want to talk about this change in, in how we're thinking about skill development, you know? Some of the things I talked about today, from coaches and instructor to coaches, designer and guide, from uh, there's one way to do it to there's multiple ways to do it. So I'm going to talk about you know, how it affects injury, youth sports, all these kind of things. So I'm trying to put together all kind of a, a starting point if you're if there's people, whether you're a coach, an athlete, or a parent, interested in this kind of different way of looking at skill development. Is this a place kind of to start to give you you know an idea of what what 
behind it, some of the research showing that it's effective and some of the ideas. That's, that's what I'm trying to achieve with it. Oh, no, absolutely fantastic. I cannot wait to get my hands on it. Hey, everybody, keep your eyes open. Perceptionaction.com is the website. I'm sure it will be posted there, Dr. Gray, when it comes out. And hey, just as maybe um, a shot across the bow here, once the book comes out and we've managed to get through it all, I'd love to have you back on here before the new year to talk about it. Um, and I think it may be instrumental in setting up our, our radio show theme for 2022 here. That would be absolutely fantastic if you'd have the time. Absolutely. I love to, Jeff. <laughs> I, I could talk about this stuff all day. So, <laughs> for sure. I love yeah. it. So yeah. could I. Well, listen, we could keep talking for hours here today, but I think this is a really, really great contextual conversation on on where we're at and where we might need to go here. We're looking forward to the book, Dr. Gray. And listen, I just want to thank you again for your time today. Just a fantastic conversation here today. You're welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Okay, there you go, everybody. Dr. Robert Gray from Arizona State University. Listen, if you are interested in getting that book, it's on Amazon right now. Um, How We Learn to Move, just a fantastic book. We'll have uh, Dr. Gray on again here as we get closer to our gift for the athlete or gift for the coach here. What a fantastic idea uh, to stuff a stocking here as the holidays approach. All right, what a great conversation. Please listen, if you're involved in sport in any capacity, as a parent, as a coach, as an administrator, or as an athlete, share this conversation with everybody you know, because this is how we're going to make a difference for you as an athlete or as a coach or as a parent, but also in terms of our entire system. Our developmental sporting systems are good. They certainly are not great. And as you heard from the very onset of this series back in January, of this year with Dr. Joe Baker, when we were talking about our understanding of talent and where we're at in terms of athlete development, number one, we don't really have a consensus as to what talent and talent development is. And also it changes with the ebb and flow of athlete development. As athletes, some athletes grow or develop quickly, their position in that talent development model changes. Or as some are slower or lose interest or get interest in other areas, their priorities and and focus on the the developmental uh, realm of sport changes. So we have to be aware of all of these things because it's it's a as Dr. Gray said today, it's a messy business. Learning and sport development is a messy business, and it's nonlinear. It's up and down, and it's different for everybody. So many factors involved. But the one thing that we said at the very first episode of our Talent and Talent ID um, series earlier this year with Dr. Baker was the fact that our system is incredibly ineffective and potentially, if you really want to define it, broken in so many ways. It is not effective. Our approach to talent, talent ID and development just isn't consistent with what we know in science. That's what these series are all about. And listen, we've got some big shows coming up as we wrap this up through November and into December. We're going to be talking with Dr. Richard Harvey from San Francisco State University about the brain game. And how that ties together with how we learn. It's going to be a great one. Then we're going to talk to Dr. Kevin Mitchell, Associate Professor of Genetics and Neuroscience at Trinity College in Dublin, about how the brain works. And we're going to bring these two worlds together, talent and the crush brain game. Then we're going to talk with Stuart Armstrong from the Talent Equation podcast in the UK. He does some tremendous work in developmental sport, and he's got a great understanding of that entire environment and how to put it together. That's what he does in the UK. It is going to be a great conversation. And then I have to get back 
to Dr. Alex Roberts, who brought to us that whole idea of the coach's eye and the coaching bias in our talent ID series a few months back. Um, she talked about how coaches uh, select athletes based on their personal strengths. We select athletes that we know we can help, largely based on our previous athletic experiences, but also uh, based on what we know we're good at as a coach. Isn't that interesting? Very unfair to the athletes. Great for the athletes that we select, but how many great talents are we losing because we're not selecting talent properly? So I'm really looking forward to this next conversation with Dr. Roberts. How about um, talent ID for coaches? Identifying a coach's talent and then supporting them in maybe areas they're not great at or helping them understand what they're good at or what they're not at. Support the coaches. Let's talk about that. And then we're going to wrap this series up with a bookend conversation with Dr. Joe Baker, who kicked off our Talent talent ID series, and Dr. Martin Morazic, who kicked off our Brain Game series. And then we're going to announce, as we head into January, what our theme for 2022 is going to be, and it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for next year already. But before we get there, we have some incredibly important work to do, wrapping up Talent, Talent ID, and the Crush Brain Game here through November and December. All right. Stick around, everybody. So much great stuff coming up. And again, your comments, your thoughts, and your feedback are incredibly important. Reach out, crushperformance.com for sure. All right, have to thank Dr. Rob Gray for joining us here today. Again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Now get out there. Have a great week, everybody. Go out, have some fun, stay safe, get a little bit better. We'll talk to you next week for another huge episode of Crush Performance. Talk to you then. Goodbye now. Don't forget to run. Hey, it's Rock Riley, and I am so jacked up. I got a new podcast. Once a week, it's The Rock Stops Here. I'm going to be talking with athletes and entertainers, current and former, on making it to the promised land, to the top. And what happens when it's all over? And you don't know what to do. And you got family problems and money creeps in and health and all that jazz. Real talk. No more corporate BS. I can call it like it is. The Rock Stops Here. With me, Rock Riley, can be found anywhere you find your podcasts and radioinfluence.com.